Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on January 10th, 2020, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat as we continue our discussion over the lore book Eva's Journey. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 And this is the legend, Dredgen, Green-Eyed Music Lover. And this is the soon-to-be savior, Saint-14. Not oh. Saint-14, Saint's Workshop. Yeah, I can't take you that, so. <laughs> you need to put on your Russian accent for that. The only communist I'll deal Bored. with. Bored. Oh, man. Well, I know we are all kind of looking forward to getting into this particular discussion, so let's just get right into it. Um so we're we're gonna go. I think the be the wow the best way uh, the best way to go the about way, this. Yeah, let's just pretend I did that on purpose. Um, is to just dive right into the entries. We actually this this one actually has what is it nine entries? So it's actually mm-hmm. a little bit shorter and a little bit more straightforward than the ones that we've done in the past. <laughs> just just a bit more straightforward about hey, there's not a lot hidden inside the right the pack the, i mean not the origin of the learned, universe right but we i mean you learn things you learn some Fair, things yeah. about the, like where a sword the civilian life well that too you learn the civilian aspects you mm-hmm. learn what happened as you were like hobbling out of the the city and during the red war so i mean there's there's some nice tidbits in here it's just not it's not politically motivated or anything like that. Not it's not Mara or Callus. Or is it? Or you can't oh, see it, but I just narrowed my eyes up my cameras <laughs> if you could see it. So let's let's talk about Grandma Stranger Danger. Uh Green, do you wanna you wanna take the first one or you want me to jump right in? Uh, you go ahead and jump right okay. in on this one. So, really quick, uh, just kind of an overall view of the book. Uh, it's basically going to be talking about Eva, the events of Eva, what she was doing during the Red War. So, this is kind of a throwback to the the base campaign for Destiny Two. Um, but this is this is what explains where Eva was from the fall of the tower all the way until she was reintroduced to our guardian. Um, with the dawning, if I remember correctly there. So mm-hmm. what we see is in the first entry, which is called Just Another Day in the Tower, 
uh, she was actually Eva was actually in the middle of a shader design with Tess, and they were kind of joking about. I believe it was Zavala that they were making fun of. Yeah, uh, which is really because Zavala picked like red and orange or something yeah, like that it to was be together. Very garish colors, and which is really Her companion. Yeah, which is really funny because uh, he's also known for his his crochet. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder what a scarf from Zavala looks like. I mean, I don't know. It depends on what kind of yarn he gets a hold of. Probably, but, uh, the- probably knits those like night beanies, you know, for <laughs> the fold down part in the front. Oh yes. no! Still just still just yes. makes armor with it. <laughs> oh no! Do you want a Kevlar beanie? <laughs> you see it on he's Wish using- the next day. <laughs> he's using paracord. That's what he's doing. He's using paracord to make all of it. It's tactical crochet. Worst crochet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> worst crochet. Oh, that would be the worst scarf ever. That would be so heavy. Like I crochet. I have yarn sitting next to me, so I'm like, do not accept this into my head, kid. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm imagining a what size of hook you would need to crochet not only Kevlar. But also like paracord. <laughs> and oh I mean, God, it would the, be that's so why stiff. the hunters are okay with Zavala. He he's fashionable and he gives you good gear. Well, I mean, no, I mean, Cade wasn't exactly wearing a Kevlar scarf, now was he? <laughs> oh, oh. oh man! But they didn't get along that well, so I guess he didn't make him one. <laughs> he didn't make him one. <laughs> Yeah, the ghastly combination Gosh. of fluorescent yellow and blood red. <laughs> so new monarchy? Gosh, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Excuse me. You step back there, sir. I love the, the response from Tess is, he can make the hive quake in fear, but that man shouldn't be let within 10 meters of a designer's table. <laughs> Also, oh, we're going to find out next week just how bad of a joke Zavala can make too, which is also amusing. But I love Zavala. I love how Bungie has embraced teasing him too, mm-hmm. but also embracing his his quirks because he is definitely kind of a special so, guy in his own right. So, is Shax a better singer than Zavala is at making jokes? Oh God, Shax was a terrible singer. <laughs> I cringe. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, Shakespearean, you can, okay, so, time out. This is green (laughs) assessing. This is green assessing a vocal performance, because that is what I used to do as a teacher. And I can tell you from experience that um, the voice actor, I can't think of his name at the moment, um, Lenny, Lenny James, had legit fear in his voice when he's saying like he's saying those lines it was that did not sound put on at all like he was terrified of singing those lines as if that was going to be put out into the world and he did not want that to go out there and it was brilliant i'm so absolutely brilliant i'm just glad they stuck with two lines of it because that joke could have gotten old real quick Oh, yeah, I mean, sure, but it's just the, uh, something that's, uh, who was it? Man at Arms actually brought this up to me. The tune, that's the theme song to Shadowkeep. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, so it's actually the theme song to the the expansion. The, uh, it's 
roughly done, of course. Yeah. And then the, this idea that Eris is singing about cheese. Um, I still think Shax may have made that up a tiny bit, but you know, anyway, time back in point of order over. <laughs> so, so Eva was in the middle of uh, the shader design when, and when the evacuate evacuation order, which is order 77 was given to the whole tower. Um, and basically, she, because she was with Tess, they both were escaping together originally. But because of the mass exodus that was going on, they got separated. Uh, and Eva found herself among about 30 other civilians and were, were funneled into this enclosed area where a cabal drop pod took out the ceiling. And um, they were about to be attacked when Shax actually steps in. And Shax takes out the cabal with a sword that is strangely familiar and um and, and then goes on to insist that eva take charge of the group to help guide them out of the city um so that's kind of where that particular card kind of leads leaves off um mm-hmm. the other thing is is like i just i love the fact that shax is he's it's it's actually called out like he just like let me just read this. It's when a dazzling blast of energy took them from behind. The shouting was enough for ten men, but when when Eva could see again, only one massive guardian was standing there, ending a cabal soldier with a blade as long as she was tall. The helmeted face of Lord Shax turned this way and that, taking in the room. Two quick strides brought him to her side, and with a surprising gentleness, he helped Eva to her feet. So, like, right there, I think, is probably one of the best explanations of Shaxx I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Is, like, the dichotomy of his character is just very pronounced in my in, in this particular, like, scene. Um, and then he goes on and he says that he needs Eva's help. Like, which is, like, you just watched him destroy, you know, Cabal. And now he's like, no, I need your help. And so he took. She took charge of the civilians, and then um, they basically got out uh, to the Hawks, which are the Hawks are the ships that everyone was in when they got taken when they got picked up to get out. They were the uh, the scene where in the first mission with Amanda flying us up to I think that was the Almighty. That was a Hawk. Um, and so, yeah, and then so basically he sees them off to the, the Hawks and he bids them farewell. And Eva's last view of the tower was one of ruin and flame. And that's where that particular card ends. Uh, and there's not a whole lot else to unpack on there, except for we have evacu- evacuation order number 77. So we get an actual number for mm. it. But... Beyond that, um, Tess and Eva, Eva getting separated is also kind of important. But, uh, Saint, do you want to talk about Lost at Light or Lost of Light? Loss of Light. Yeah, I, I, can, I can take it. Um, yeah. So this one, uh, well, I'll just read what it says right here. Is uh, the card begins with Eva requesting a unit or at least someone to go and check on the people of importance to her, her cousin Valentina and her son Luis. Explosions and the sound of battle were heard all around, and after so- and after some convincing, Tazi said she'll go back and check on them. The mil- the militia EXO 
that was with them turned to her and turned to her and asked if she could fire a weapon. And Eva's helpless look was answer enough. The Exo dials out and calls for guardian support at their location. A building at once might have been a bakery at the corner of the 1400 block Anchor District. Shortly after a hunter and a warlock descended on the invaders, then it happened. The light was ripped away from both guardians of both the guardians and, and they reeled. The cabal made short work of the Exo, Warlock, and Hunter. With quick thinking, Ava smashed the glass out of the far window to help the children and other civilians escape the building. They didn't stop running, though they were fairly sure no one was following them. As they huddled up, they huddled up the comms unit that Eva had snatched, chirped, and Eva received more bad news. The entirety of Block 10 was just gone. So she does this radio towards um, Tazi. She's radioing to try to figure out what's going on with Valentina and basically uses her seniority and her status within the tower and her codes within the tower to convince her to go check on him. And at the end of this car, after kind of a scuffle that happens with them and they flee once more, finds out that um, they're dead, essentially. Finds out that that entire block is gone, and Tazi, the the person who had gone to check on Valentina, is also dead. So, um, what one thing I always I, I I guess it makes sense, but I always found it odd how the Cabal just like you you know they would go after Guardians, you know, kill Guardians every chance they got, but it was kind of crazy how they would just lay waste to civilians, the city, and all, you know. Like, well, I mean, I, I, besides the obvious of using light, the anybody who'd put up a fight, yeah. I bet, got targeted. Well, well, later you see talking about like just people who were moving in the streets would have a ship come down and just raise them, you know. And mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you're taking over a city and you don't want to subjugate them, I guess that's what you do. But you know, the cabal of always seem to have more of a subjugation kind of thing going. Except for maybe Gaul. Gaul might be different. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's the difference between Kallus's Cabal and the Red Legion. The Red Legion is mm-hmm. 100% military. Like, they have no interest in in colonization. They're there to smash and grab the Traveler and get out. You know, like, basically, they're, they, their entire thing was capturing the Traveler. Anything else yeah. was collateral damage that didn't need to be worried about Mm -hmm. it just seemed like with the patrols just finding people and then taking them out it seemed like it was a little more deliberate i guess but i guess that's also just making sure there's not an underground resistance i guess yeah and i mean the cabal have so much more might than any of our civilians have um, weapons is about the only thing that the civilians would have been able to have as far as firearms. And even most of them did not, it seems, have any of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we'll see later on that Eva actually picks up, um, picks up a weapon and doesn't really know how to use it. I guess that's the difference between a place who's used to fighting without superpowers and a place that has basically, you know, a tower full of gods. That can fight for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next card is Hiding at Home. And this card is kind of important because we see um, kind of sort of the turn of what a lot of people would consider 
that mob mentality of the civilians just being utterly essentially wrecked. Their entire world's been turned upside down. And so they're huddled up in this location. They've checked on the small comms unit. She's clutching to her chest, but it's been two hours since she, it had only been two hours since the entire attack had started. Since then, they've kind of gotten into this area and there are a few guardians with them and they are not in good shape at all. And one of the civilians basically says, we don't owe them anything. And Eva gets angry. Eva basically croaks at them, how dare you? Her voice rose with her anger. Your whole life, they've kept you safe, and now you just want to abandon them. So she basically shames them for the idea of them wanting to leave the guardians behind because there's four of them, they're bleeding. And this is the line that I mentioned in the first episode of the introduction episode of even as she weighed the future of their little band, she couldn't help but appreciate their fashion sense. (laughs) The hunter, of course, had put in the most effort. See, I was like, I definitely understood where the, the other civilian was coming from without like, you, know, you have three people with armor that looks like they're getting ready for a fashion show. I mean, even my Titan right now looks out there. You know, you see these people dressed really elegantly, I guess you'd put it, or just out yeah. there. And you're like, what what are they doing if they're protectors? Why are they dressed like this? You know, it's easy to see snippets of Guardians and how they look. And I guess it would be pretty easy to assume they're not doing anything up there, I guess. You know, because they, they won't know about us going on patrols on Nessus. You know, they'll just see yeah, I mean, garishly dressed just, people at the tower. Well, I mean, guardians are revered. You take, think of that idea of you mentioned you have a tower full of gods protecting you. Yeah. Well, in some ways, yeah, but there's also the aspect of there, you have the hero aspect, but you also have the the jealousy and the way the lifestyle that guardians quote unquote live the adventure, the fantasy aspect of it. So um, not to say that that is exactly what's going on here, but the, the idea that Eva's has to fight for these guardians to help get them out of there. Because at this point with the injuries that the guardians have sustained, they can't necessarily move them very well. And one of the, one of the, um, men that are with them says we can barely move the lot of us around let alone all of us and a bunch of wounded powerless guardians why should we risk our and he gets cut off and she argues again you don't think they've risked their lives a hundred times over we have to keep moving we have to keep them with us and we have to hold out whatever it this is it's temporary and eva basically has to slap them across the face with the reality of their situation of they may guardians may not get their light back. This may be a permanent thing. And if that's the case for the people that have protected you your entire life, you should, and you have a, you have an obligation to take care of them because they are not in a a situation where they can take care of themselves. And that's kind of, 
Eva's whole thing with a lot of her, not only with the dawning, but with revelry and crimson days and festival of the lost. She has such an idea of community and she understands it better than most people do. In fact, that community doesn't mean just the fun times. Community means all the time, even in the depressing times. So yeah, I guess it it can be easy for someone, you know, not like Eva who's in the tower all the time, like someone Mm -hmm. who lives down the ground. Think of it kind of like how we think about pirates in the real fantastical way. You know, right. living on the sea, you know, all sunshine and rainbows, do what you want. Right. And I guess it's easy for someone on the ground level to think that about Guardians, that they just go out among the stars, do what they want. And yeah, if you don't know. Yeah. And then Eva's the bridge between that, you know. So here's the part where I think it finally sinks in. Uh, Eva's argued to keep the guardians with them but that comms unit that she has with her you hear the announcement from zavala that if there are guardians left or light left in the system they will regroup on titan the same line that we hear of just kind of not necessarily of zavala giving up but falling back that be brave be safe and this was this was at the point where they like lost one of the four guardians, like the mm-hmm. Titan died, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was right before it, I think. Okay. Was that? Like, yeah, it was right before from- he, because they were trying to make it to Twilight Gap. Did, did he die from just injuries or did he? We like- don't know. Uh, it okay. just says that they lost him on the way. Okay. Yeah, so that's the next card, which, Blue, if you want to take the next one. Yeah, it's the, a, new the new normal. Um, so basically, Eva finds herself actually being more prepared than she had imagined uh, was possible. Again, this is kind of talking about the transformation of Eva from this this fashionista into this almost like Grulla Wharf commander-esque figure. Uh, her basically her exposure to the over the years to all the guardians in the tower had given her a much better understanding of how the cabal were operating in cleansing the last city. Uh, you guys have been mentioning that about how the cabal were hunting down all the possible remnants of civ- uh, civilians. Um, they were doing that to to do exactly that to to make sure that there was nothing there to rise up and take them by surprise. Um, and so she had, she had over the time they traveled, actually come to be in charge of organizing patrols by the surviving civilians that they encountered. And then actually, because she was so organized in the way that she did all that, they were actually able to bring other civilians into, you know, into their group for protection as well. Um, and so then you had mentioned also the Titan of the four guardians, the three that survived were two warlocks and a hunter. Uh, and they, although they lack their lights, they were still, they were able to move about and they were actually able to kind of help, uh, at least prepare, you know, and help do stuff there. Uh, the two warlocks are identified as the sisters, Tam and Trin. And then the, the hunter is identified as Ramos. Uh, Ramos actually will come back later, but, um, this is also when you hear Zavala's call for anyone with light left to rally on Titan to organize a counterattack to the red legion. Uh, which actually prompts a very, very fiery argument between the three guardians. Um, I believe the warlocks want to leave and Ramos wants to stay. But 
at the end, they all three look to Eva um, to kind of guide their decision. And I believe she tells them that, you know, they need to do what they think is right. And she says, I trust you all to do the right thing. And they stayed. And then they became in- integral to the success of what Eva refers to as their operation. Uh, she, it seems like she's like, I don't really know what's going on, but this is this is kind of it's it's like piece by piece, it's coalescing into this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then it kind of jump, it kind of goes, it kind of does like a little bit of a time hop here. Uh, she passes the months that the Red Legion occupy the city, basically in a really quiet. Uh, support role of the underground uh she never abandoned the city she she viewed her job as base i think she refers to it as she need there needs to be someone to keep the lights on if anyone ever comes back and so she worked mm-hmm. tirelessly to ensure the survival of all those around her she would organize trips to the wall to smuggle people out of the city any survivors would come to her or any of the members of the underground cells that she had kind of helped uh, and then they would arrange what was referred to as packages of lightless guardians or civilians. Um, and it is called out again that she had she had the chance to get out of the city dozens of time. Um, but every time she thought she'd take that exit, go with that convoy, she stopped herself, settled back, did the work. And so that's that's where uh, she was. She was always there to make sure the trains ran on time is what she that that was her job, really. Oh, and then, she, yeah, I mean, sorry, and she, real quick, she also did, so during the day, she would be, she would do the uh, the underground movements, and then at night, she started uh, sewing again, and mm-hmm. she started making, uh, basically, the uh, the people, trying to make the people comfortable, really. Sorry, Green, what, was, what were you going to say? No, I, I was just going to say that that is one of the kind of the heartwarming aspects of Eva. She's always planning something and that's what she's good at. She's good at organizing. She's good at, she's good at delegating and helping people move into different groups and helping them basically move their group and she'll, she'll lead them, but she's not the, she's not the spearhead. She's the organizer behind the spearhead pushing the spearhead to go do what they, she needs. Right. Which is, which is actually kind of interesting too, because in a way she actually kind of does become the spearhead for this particular. Yes. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit, which actually kind of takes Uh, us to the next one. Yeah. Saint, you want to do the, the good fight. So the good fight, it's basically like, a Ramos, Ramos comes up and wakes Eva up. Wakes up, wakes her up an hour later than uh, she asked to be because she needed the rest. They've been doing this for months at the time, and you know she realized that's what she needed. You know, and gets up, starts getting ready to go down and speak to the the gathering of like underground leaders, which I thought was kind of odd that there would be underground leaders like multiple, but um. But uh, she finds herself in the mirror looking super ragged and gaunt and takes notice of how much she's changed. And uh, and you know, she takes some time to think about how far she's come since you know this all started. You know, washes her face and realizes how bad she is. 
and goes downstairs to meet with them. And that's when uh, the Cabal find them and start by like blowing open the front of the building they're in. Uh, she, this is when she picks up a weapon, a, a shotgun that she's trained with. She loads it without even having to look. She knows exactly how it works. She's dry fired it tons of times. Uses it to take out two scions, but in the process, says you know she hears cracking in her arm and shoulder. From where I'm assuming it like fractured her arm, so she wasn't used to the actual recoil of the weapon you know, since she's been dry firing it mainly. Mm-hmm. And she rushes back upstairs to let's see this. Okay, she stepped. She ran back upstairs to check on something, and that's when three war beasts come in through the windows and she takes care of like one or two of them and then that's when it kind of cuts off uh yeah and yeah that's where yeah. it is so yeah so you have that the last day while she's this this fight scene that she's dealing with and the the shot that actually made that flinch actually saved her life because it basically pivoted her it pushed her aside and if you've ever shot a if you've ever shot a 12 gauge it's it's not it's not an easy kick now if you're ready for it you can you can adjust and account for it but if you're not ready for it if you've only ever basically held it up to your arm and figured out this is how i hold it and this is how i'm supposed to shoot it's gonna throw you a little bit i when i fired a 20 gauge at when I was younger with going hunting and stuff like that, even that would kick a good kick Mm -hmm. for uh, a girl who was like 130 pounds at the time. So an older woman who's probably got some bone deterioration just because of um, a malnutrition because she's been doing this for months and they don't have a lot of food, but also the age factor and everything like that. It's, it's going to give her quite the kick. And not not to and that, m- mention, it's very possible she scavenged a guardian shotgun. You know, yeah. Because if they're just on the move like that in the underground, it, odds are that's mostly the weapons they'll find. Well, yeah, that, that's what I believe. But yes, yeah, you know, she's dry fired. She's trained with it. You know, and of course, being under occupation like that, she can't exactly go to the firing range. So, yeah. no. uh, and just you don't want to shoot anything while the cabal are around yeah. anyway because it would draw attention yeah i mean i've worked with shotguns nearly my whole life and yeah i've seen plenty go flying from someone not ready for it so yeah it's easy to believe a old woman mm-hmm. would be able to dodge a bullet <laughs> from the recoil so right So that takes us to Caretaker, which is another fast forward in the future. The battle, the final, that little fight scene between the Cabal and the War Beasts and the Scions and Eva with the shotgun. And that's all taken place. Eva is standing against the ivy colored outer wall of the barn, gazing down to the, into the football field at the farm. And she's, she didn't exactly escape that encounter with the cabal unscathed she has to use a cane now and she's out at the farm she's made it out there she's left the city now that doesn't mean that she's necessarily given up on helping different aspects but she's kind of taken to healing and that is the big thing that's going on right now in this and she's 
reminiscing about what's going on. She talks, she says one old woman coming in from the underground was a low priority and the commotion, even the old friends she'd hoped to see had missed her. Now she was alone or mostly alone. She turned her head to see the cryptarch Tyra Karn chattering, chattering away with farms, postal frame with primary operations returned to the city. Darby had become Tyra's unofficial research assistant Together, they continue to study and examine humanity's history through the lens of the dead zone, a sideline from the turmoil at the tower. Tyra was apparently only too happy to claim. The scout Devram came by once in a while for a chat as well. When he was feeling cheeky, he referred to their little group as the Old Hands Club, usually smirking over the top of a cup of tea. Both had still had official jobs to do, of course, and they took their roles very seriously. Eva was at the farm very unofficially. Her role at the tower had never become, never been one vital to operations, of course, but no one had rushed to ask her back to the market either. Tess and Banshee had reached out once in a while, and she'd given advice on how to set up the new space. So you see here, this is kind of the, it's probably one of the saddest cards in some respects with not necessarily regarding any sort of death, obviously with Valentina that you see in the first card, but this one is Eva is Eva's lonely. Eva's just kind of lost her place. She's lost her, her in some ways, momentum and purpose in this card. And one of the lines that we read in the introduction episode earlier mentions at the mention of the light fitting differently, a statement she heard a lot of guardians make, Eva asked the same question she always did. Does that mean the light is different now, or are you? So that line in particular talks in reference to the aspect that we went and gathered the light from the shard and the EDZ. And it kind of plays on the idea of are we different as guardians now because we're using different quote unquote light? Is the light different or are we just changed because of the events? Is our past part of what forms what our future is going to be? And Eva, even though she's kind of lonely and out at the farm on her own, she has no intention to return back to the city. She's... I would say I, I'm not a clinical person. I'm not somebody who studies psychiatry, but she seems very depressed in this card. Blue, what would you think about that? I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, is like I, I can agree to that to a degree. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, she, she it says that it was a strange life, another strange time, another role she'd never asked for, but she found she was good at it. And she had no mm -hmm. interest in returning to the city. You know, there's there's a degree that she had finally left the city. She had finally left all that pain and all that behind. And she actually found something outside of the city. She right. found something in the farm. But, you know... So, I, I mean... But I, she's sitting so lonely, she doesn't well, have... Well, see, like, I read... I kind of read that as, like... I didn't really read it as her being lonely in, in the sense of like a depressing loneliness. 
Um, because Mm -hmm. I mean, she has, she has Tyra, she has Devram, you know, Devram and them are very, they become very good friends. Um, yes. You know, and so she has her, her group, you know, it's not that she's all by herself or anything like that. I think I, I kind of read it as like, you know, she'd hope to see some of her old friends and like, and the reason why I'm saying this is, uh, when you get to, I believe it's the, um, that, yeah, it's the invisible scars. Um, mm-hmm. when she, when she's actually confronted with the option to, to come back into the city, she genuinely has no interest. She just genuinely doesn't want to, um, she she gets talked into it she doesn't i mean she's not resistant to it but like if it was just up to her she would just stay on the farm and do what she has found you know she's she's kind of that that quintensile quintensile um old older person who's just like she's getting to the point where she she doesn't want to go on another adventure <laughs> she just wants she right. just wants to to live her life she wants quiet and she- you know and it's like so like i i see i see the idea of her being lonely but i don't necessarily mm-hmm. equate that into being a depressed state because at the same time gotcha. a depressed i'm not gonna like obviously depression strikes everybody differently um but in in my personal experience with depression like if i i would never have explained a point of depression as finding something that i'm good at like Okay. Like when you're when you're in when you're in a depression, it's it's not like that. That is, and again, everyone experiences this differently. Um, but like, I have not found my my worldview to be. Oh, well, at least I'm good at this. Like, no, no, actually, the the worldview is I'm not good at anything. You know that that's why depression is so crippling is because you don't identify you that you're good with anything. You you don't view yourself as worth it. So the fact that she calls out the fact that it was it wasn't something she asked for, but she found she was good at it. Now having no interest that's I mean that's whatever you can that can go either way, right? But that that snippet right. about her being her recognizing that she was good at it and her her recognizing, you know, she she identifies Devram as being like cheeky, you know, like I, I just there's there's like these little hints that I see what you're saying, but I don't think that I didn't read it that way. It may not be a clinical depression, right. but it's definitely not the same. It's not the livelihood or the um lightness that she had when she was creating parties in the tower because essentially that's what festival of the lost and dawning are just giant parties that take place over weeks right well, so i mean that's how we experience them but eva right, but as well with eva kind of presents them with a much more uh weight she presents right, them with a bunch of organization and, you know, her, her, well, and I guess my thing is, is like, but think of it like Christmas with, yeah, no, that's what I am the, thinking of it. It's a horrendous scheduling right, nightmare. So um, it can be, but as far as like the, you can have the weight of the togetherness and the community, the, the bringing everything together and not leaving anybody behind and, um, gift not necessarily gifting things but having those moments together like sloan does which we'll see next week but mm-hmm. it's the it's not party may not be the the right word but it's the tradition and the gathering together right. and holding everything together right yeah um you know it and and the, and i guess a lot of my 
view of of uh, caretaker is influenced by the the invisible scars entry because from the very beginning of invisible scars uh you see that eva has turned her home space uh she's decorated it she's turned it into a place of art and of fabrics and you know um Mm -hmm. and again you know speaking from just just my experiences that's not something that you do when you're in a depressed state like you're in a depressed state you shut down and you don't do anything she's actually gone out of the way and she's she's made a home she's made a space for her to to live in and she had it's not that she doesn't have stuff to do um and she found that she's good at it you know what that what that translates in my head to when when someone says oh i found that i'm good at it that also means i actually enjoy it I, I take pride in that. And Eva's always kind of taken pride in her work. So I don't know. I, I, I see I see where you can read it that way. I just personally, especially mm-hmm. with the context of Invisible Scars, right. I don't read it that Which, way. Which, let's transition that direction. Sure. And, and Since- Invisible Scars actually is, it's another kind of bittersweet one. Um because this is actually the time jump to Forsaken campaign. So Caretaker was kind of taking place roughly around the last days of the Red War. Invisible Scars, we jump to the time of Forsaken. Uh, and basically, Eva is jolted awake. Uh, remember, she is in the European dead zone. Uh, Tess is not in the European dead zone. She is in South America in a tower. So it is daylight. Um and so Tess calls her really early in the morning um, and basically is not- is notifying her of Kate's death. Uh, and she then, like, and so there's that conversation. Eva calls out that she'd never been overly fond of Cade, but she did recognize that um, there was a lot of people who looked up to him and relied on him. And also, mm-hmm. he was not a weak guardian. He was a pretty strong guardian so her immediate her kind of her brain immediately starts wondering what was powerful enough to kill Cade um so and and Tess kind of makes the comment that they don't really know what's going on they just know that he's been killed um and and then that kind of goes up to Tess asking her to come back for the memorial service for Cade and this is and again this is where I kind of see it is like it's Eva's turn to look away from the screen. The first time someone had asked her to go back and for a funeral of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems slightly bitter. Oh yeah. Well, no. Just, yeah. Like, I mean, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it is bitter. It is totally bitter. Um, but it's, it's to me, it's, it's also like, she's about to make an excuse. And then this is, this is where she gets hooked is Tess goes on to say, well, while you're here, you can also help sort out the holiday programming for the frames. And Eva gets like, gets, I I see it as like getting territorial. <laughs> she's like, wait, what? <laughs> kind of like if you, you know, if one of your aunts tells your grandma, they're going to make the turkey for Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's n- a no go. No, no, you don't tell Grandma that because you're gonna get, you're gonna get skewered. Oh yeah, I, man, I, her, her behavior during this struck me more of like, not necessarily that she became a recluse, but she finally enjoyed. Uh, on a harder word, like not necessarily 
doing everything for herself, but had time to focus on her as well as she may have found something that's a higher calling, I guess, with talking to guardians, going to retrieve their light or speaking with them and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily uh, a higher calling, but she found like, this was a nice quiet life. Well, she, she wasn't she constantly retirement. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't bustling around all the time, getting things done, making, you know, things for sale or whatever. She's, makes what she wants. She has these conversations with guardians and, you know, like Devrim and stuff that she, she's not alone, but she can be alone if she wants to kind of thing. So she, right. she got into where she enjoyed that life. And then, you know, one mention of robot setting up Christmas without her and that was over. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You want to talk about, you can never go home again. Oh, yeah. No. So uh, it, um, she notices how far fashions moved without her. She, it positive, like she's positive about the progressions, and she talks about how, um, how nice everything looks. And she's starting to set up her new space, which apparently is so bad she just sends in some frames to clean it for her completely. <laughs> she um, really gives up too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She she it simply says Eva, Eva slumped back several spaces, supported by her cane to avoid getting any dirt on her outfit. Yeah, you know, she mm-hmm. you know shows you know she's the seamstress, she's the fashionista or whatever. So she cares about that. But um, talking about how like just how busy the the tower in the city was at this time, you know, civilians everywhere. How how things were lively again. And, yeah, she says, uh, and guardians were everywhere, a riot of color and style as they flipped and floated and left around the space, which I think it's a funny call out on how people jump around the tower constantly. Yeah. The, her, her lines always give a good insight that like, yes, the NPCs see us acting like <laughs> fools. Uh-huh. <laughs> All the time. You know, All if you're the just, time. you know, seeing a guardian squatted in the tree in the, in the bazaar. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Continues, you know, Eva scowled, frustrated with herself again for letting Tess, and to an extent, Amanda talk her into returning. None of this felt right. None of it felt comfortable. And now the space they'd given her to store her wares had apparently last been opened and cleaned sometime before the faction wars. Uh, she found a bench along one of the market's walkways and sank gratefully down, watching the crowd pass by fashion, as it always did in the city, had moved quickly since the day of the Legion attack. She was still catching up, still finding her footing. Rebreather mask, in particular, dotted the faces in the crowd, more stylish and or- ornamental. Ornam- I'm not going to say that. Uh, the practical. A holdover from the necessity in the days rebuilding and restoring the city. You know, I, you know, it's cool to see that, like, the Red War and li- living in the undergrounds carried over into people's fashion choices. You know, I guess people do that nowadays with the almost like surgical masks with designs on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing this is just a more extreme version of that. Uh, I mean, functional and fashionable. Yeah. Uh, and she said she spent a lot of time with Guardians uh, and Tess. 
getting them to fill her in on all the newest Guardian armors and and fashion. Uh, and said even the Vanguard had outdone themselves in their armor designs and shaders. Uh, she she sat to herself and said, "What am I even doing here? Or what have I?" What am I even to do here? She muttered to herself. What can I do that? And she trailed off, watching a guardian slowly walk by what appeared to be a full crest above his helmet and a warlock robe that flowed and rippled behind him in the breeze. That's it. Eva stood. Heading to the door to tell other friends stop cleaning when someone stepped in her path. A guardian in a leather trench coat and a shiny black helm. Eva, the voice was distorted. She could see her own face reflection in the helmet. The gloved hands came up and the headpiece came off to reveal the smiling face of Ramos. Abuela, it's me. He pulled her into an enormous hug and she smiled. You rascal, you never came to give me a chance to, or you never gave me a chance to thank you. She swatted him kindly on the shoulder as she pulls away. Just saved a woman's life and the ride off to retake the city, why don't you? <laughs> I love that line. It's a little, again, sassy grandma is being a little sassy. Which I thought it was a, you know, it definitely gives you a little bit of sense of the time of when she had to leave this, or was forced to leave the city and kind of woke up in the farm. You know, because somewhere in that time of her, in the healing process, was when the big assault on the city was made. I'm, I'm assuming maybe he went back to the city and was just fighting on his own for a little while, but... um. Uh, Ramos laughed, happier than she'd ever seen him. The light hung around him easily... And he turned to a pair of guardians who were standing nearby, watching tentatively. Team, this is Eva Levante. You remember my stories. This woman is a legend. He gestured at the two. Eva, those two are, are shiny as glimmer. They just became guardians before the Legion attacked. Eva nodded, her head deeply to them. Good to meet you both. One raised a hand in an awkward greeting while the other cocked their head. What do you do here? Eva sighed. Oh, I'm not, I'm not actually. Ramos laughed and said, She's a phenomenal seamstress, a hero of the war, and before that, she was one of the pier- pillars of life in the tower. Remember the dawning holiday you liked so much? She brought that to the tower. And it goes on to talk about uh, 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 the the two turned around. How did you get Savala to agree to, to have uh, Eva cut him off and says to have fun? Because that's a very good story if you have some time. And then they all go to get some food and she Oh, yeah, they also actually use the term kinder guardians. Uh, Ramos refers mm-hmm. to them as kinder guardians, and they go and talk about stories with Eva. And she says that she's home. Yeah. It's a nice, nice yeah. ending to the story. I do like how uh, Ramos calls her abuela, mm-hmm. which, is, which is kind of a nice touch, meaning grandma, yeah. literally, in Spanish, so... You have a nice nod to some of the things that we call her. And I, I was mentioning this to somebody else earlier, just how, how much of our language as guardians in the community has been reflected in the mm-hmm. lore more and more. Spinfoil came up recently. Um, Abuela, we calling us calling Eva grandma in the tower. It's just, it's fun yeah. because it feels a lot more immersive that way. I don't know beyond what we kind of talked about here if there's much else to discuss just except for that Eva has gone through quite the transformation herself as we have. 
Blue, do you have any thoughts on it? Final thoughts? No, I mean, that's that's really kind of was my takeaway, too, is that, you know, it's, again, a case of Bungie presenting a character here um, to, to, like, that could have easily been a 2D character, and they have gone through and done just this amazing contribution here. Um, Absolutely. Bungie's been getting better and better at fleshing things out that you don't necessarily need to, but it makes it so much better with, like, Eva, and then how I got into it with, like, the Hive. They could have just said, oh, they're, they're aliens that do weird religious stuff, you know? But they went and did a whole history of their people, which may or may not be true. Um, and it just keeps showing as it, as they keep going and showing more and more of the world. It's not necessarily just like, oh, this major of battle happened. You know, it's showing more daily life and then the Devil's Ruin quest, you know, with yeah. just the banter between characters. They, To me, at least, they're doing better and better with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're fleshing out... Uh, not just our immediate circle of what's going on with us, but also some of the characters that we deal with. We've got a bigger circle of what's going on in the world, which is nice. Should we move to final shout outs? I think that it is Blue. time for shout outs. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, let's have Saint go first. Saint, do you have any other shout outs? Um, I just want to, Say thank you to the people who got me into the prop making stuff. Apsis Props on Twitter. He's a excellent prop maker. Uh, he's done way better stuff than I've done. Uh, and he answered my questions I had and stuff. So, and just more of the community in general around Destiny has been helpful at every turn. You know, it's you know nowadays you a lot of stuff that gets shared around is about toxic members of the community and it's easy to get bogged down in one or two people that you know are saying a lot of negative things but overall this community has been amazing in getting me involved because this is the first gaming community I've ever been kind of obsessed with um so yeah just the Destiny community as a whole but especially like Apsis props for really helping me out at the beginning Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So my announcements, shout outs is next week, if you are listening to the podcast form of this, next week we will have Dr. Jazzy Bebop all the way from um, basically Ishtar Collective as well as I believe, isn't Jazzy, Jazzy's from overseas. I'm trying to remember. She's from she Australia. Australian? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she's going to be joining us. If you are listening to the podcast, she'll be on next week. If you are one of our live chat members and you're listening to the podcast forum, she will be on Friday the 17th with us talking about Dawning Delight. So we're going to continue a little bit about the talk of Eva and really just the interactions that everybody has with the Dawning next week. Also upcoming for FFC as well as the Lore Network. You notice that we have a a new voice in the Lore Network that you'll probably start seeing around a little bit more often. And I cannot remember her handle for the type for the life of me. 
that's easy to remember now. Mochi Lama. Okay. Mochi Lama. So uh, she's been helping Blue and I set up a lot of things as far as plans for the future with the Lore Network, as well as kind of spearheading a lot of direction that we're heading towards with that. If you are somebody who is interested in lore in any subject, not just destiny, but have a an idea, a passion for a story of some sort, and you want to be a part of something like that where you're creating a blog post, it doesn't have to be like regular type things, but you have a story that you want to talk about or a theory or you have a passion to talk about it. Contact Blue or I and we'll get you hooked up with the Lore Network and we can start putting your stuff out there and helping you get started on your own lore journey. Because I know Blue and I have, Blue's done this longer than I have and we've done this, what, together over three, four years now? Three years. Yes. I'm bad with time. It's been a long time. I'm I'm bad with the length of time. I know Focus Fire has been about five years now. We've done Guardian Con three years in a row. Okay. So it's maybe three. four maybe years. Maybe four, yeah. I don't know. A long time. Anyway, yes, that. So we've been doing it a long time. We enjoy it. It's kind of – it's a labor of love as well as just kind of a, a fun outlet for us to be able to express ourselves in our own ways about our passion with the story of Destiny. And if that's something that you have a passion for, whether or not it's – Transformers or Witcher, Mandalorian, Star Wars, whatever is your geekdom or nerddom, and you want to be a part of something like that, contact us because we have a proposition for you. Blue, your turn. Well, you know, as as you might have already figured out, I'm here to annoy Green, and I just want to say thank you so very much for listening. And by the way, With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire, and may your light shine bright.